Isn't God good? Isn't God good? He is a mighty good God, and we give him all the praise today. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. We're going to go directly to the Word of God, and we want to continue in our uh, series of walking through the Bible. My hope is to help us to understand that God has a master plan that he has had from before the foundation of the world. And that there, everything, everything has played into this master plan. And so we've talked about creation. We've talked about the fall of man. We've talked about the, um, we've talked about the flood. We've talked about the Tower of Babel. We've talked about Abraham. Tonight we're going to talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to just kind of give us a little understanding of them, their history, and uh, not just their history, but also the life applications that apply uh, to us. And uh, as we do that, let me uh, remind you that we are looking forward to and are excited for uh, all the many things that God is doing in our midst. We're looking forward to the construction of our new worship center to take place this uh, coming May, the first week of May. And we give God the praise for it. Amen. Let's give God the praise for it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I just want to continue to thank you for your, your faithfulness and giving. It is making such a difference, helping us to do what the Lord has called us to do in this great metroplex of Cincinnati. And throughout the, and throughout the world, we're, we're really called to reach the world. And so we do so right here in our own locale but we are a global enterprise. The church is a global enterprise. Uh, we're talking tonight about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was chosen by God to, to be his covenant people. He said to Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation. Uh, it was always God's desire to restore to man what man had given away in the Garden of Eden. It's important for us to know that. It was always God's desire to give to man what man had given away. And so he looked for somebody that would be obedient to him. Abraham was obedient to him. His name was Abram at that time, which meant high father. God was not going to keep him in the position of being a high father, which is a very noble position to have. But God said, I will make of thee a great nation. He made him the father of many nations. Not just a high father, but the father of many multitudes or many nations. So he went from being Abram to being Abraham. And, and this was indicative of how the Lord wants all of his people to be. Adam and Eve. He said, I'll create Adam and Eve, but I don't want you to be content alone. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. He said again to Abram, I will make of thee a great nation. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of the covenant I establish with you. And so he made him a father of many nations. He said to his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature and make disciples of all men. That's what he told his disciples. And that is what he tells us today. He does not want us to be stagnant in our relationship with him. He wants us to be evangelistic. He wants us to be soul winners. God wants us to share and preach the gospel 
articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ to uh, all men and women throughout the world. And so Abram was promoted to Abraham. Abram was not the only one promoted in this great story from Abram to Abraham, but his wife Sarai was also promoted to uh, Sarah. There's a difference, Sarai and Sarah. There is not much of a difference. Not only is it simply the last letter of the name that is changed, but there's a little, a little uh, adjustment in the meaning of the name. Sarai basically means a, a captain, uh, but Sarah is the feminine form of that same word meaning captain, but it means a princess or a queen. It's a captain in a feminine context, giving the impression that, that uh, Sarai, in her name elevation to Sarah, was allowed and provided with a greater level of submission to her husband Abraham. In the New Testament, it would be referenced that she called him Lord, or meaning that she referred to him as, as the one who had authority. This relationship between Abraham and Sarah was important because God was going to use them to bring forth the people that would usher in the seed of Abraham, the seed of the covenant. And, and this would be the family, this would be the nation, this would be the people, whereby all men everywhere would be able to be grafted into this lineage and become joint heirs with Messiah. It was a masterful plan. And so when Abraham would talk to God about it, now, now mind you, Abraham and Sarah hatched a plan. Their plan was to have a child, but they were incapable of having a child. So they hatched a plan between themselves that Abraham would lie with Hagar, the maid, and they would have a son, and that this would be the promised son. This was not the right plan. This was not God's plan. You don't have to improve upon God's plans. When God gives you a promise, you can believe that God will be faithful to his word. When God speaks to you, you don't have to doubt. You must not doubt. You must put your faith and your confidence in the eternal, everlasting word of Almighty God. You must know and believe that it is impossible for God to lie. You know why it is impossible for God to lie? Because every word that comes out of his mouth is truth. If it comes out of the mouth of God, it is truth. Hallelujah. That should comfort us. Because then when we open up this word of the Lord and we read what promises are contained in these holy scriptures, we can take it to the bank. We can stand on it as a rock, knowing that every word that God speaks is utmost truth. And he said to Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless your seed, and I'll make your seed like the stars in the heavens. I'll make your seed like the sands of the sea. And Abraham uh, and Sarah... They really hatched their own plan. Hagar and Abram brought forth a child which was Ishmael. And Ishmael was not the promised son. However, God said, I will, even though it was a mistake you made, I will bless this child. And I will make of him a great nation. This, was, this is the way God works. In fact, even though he's not a 
promised son, even though he's not the covenant child, God in his mercy was going to look upon this child and was going to provide to him his blessings. Did you know God can do that in your life? God can step into your circumstances and look at the mistakes that we make in our life that are hatched of our own plans where we doubted and disbelieved God. And God can say, I will take what was, what was adversarial, I'll take what was controversial, and I'll redeem it, I'll sanctify it, I'll have mercy, and I'll bring my blessing in the midst of your confusion. Amen. Look with me, if you will, to the book of Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to begin reading at verse 15. God said unto Abraham, as for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her, yea, I will bless her. And she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. Now later, Sarah hears this promise from God on the plains of Mamre when the Lord appeared unto Abraham and Sarah on the plains of Mamre and gives this same promise, saying, I'm going to give you a son. And Sarah had the same reaction Abraham just had. He fell on his face and he laughed at the idea. Listen to what he said. He said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. Thank you. Thank you very much. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I, listen, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. Now, this is important, ladies and gentlemen, because there is the prominent religious uh, belief in, in the uh, Muslim Belief system that it is Ishmael who is the promised son. But Ishmael is not the promised son. Isaac is the promised son. Ishmael was Abraham's idea. It was Sarah's idea, but it wasn't God's idea. Yet God in his infinite mercy and love said, I won't overlook Ishmael. I won't, I won't disregard him. I'll bless him. I'll make of him a great nation. This is why nobody should ever believe that they are a mistake based on the circumstances that brought them into the world. And it doesn't matter what circumstances brought them into the world. This is why we are pro, 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 pro life. Because of the fact that God doesn't make mistakes. People might make mistakes. 
But God is a loving God who is rich in mercy. And God looks upon every human being, every human being, with divine providence and love and has a plan for all of our lives. Hallelujah. And this is why we have to preach the gospel to every creature because so many people are living their lives not knowing what is the will of God for their lives. And that's what the gospel does. It contextualizes life. The gospel makes sense of life. And people live their life believing that they're here not knowing why they're here, but when the gospel comes, they realize, hey, I'm a child of God. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter what circumstances brought you into the world. You're a child of God. And, and you will become that son and daughter of God when you are born again of the water and of the spirit. Praise God. So we look at this and thank God for his mercy. The Lord appeared unto Abraham and Sarah on the plains of Mamre and said to them, that they are going to have a son. Sarah laughed, just like Abraham laughed. And Isaac's name means laughter. It means to laugh. So uh, there are a couple things I want to bring out about Abram, Abraham that are significant, some precedent, and some history. Uh, he established the precedent of tithing. He brought tithes to Melchizedek, the priest of Salem. Melchizedek, the priest of Salem, after the increase that came to Abraham, or Abram at the time, uh, from his battles, he brought that tithe of all he had gained to Melchizedek, the priest, and he honored God with the tithe of his increase. This precept, this precedent, was also established in the Levitical priesthood. So it was established in the priesthood of Melchizedek, and it was established in the priesthood of the Levites. Jesus Christ is made forever a priest, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so the principle and the precedent and the precept of tithing still stands in the kingdom of God. It is the way God blesses his people. When we release the tenth, or the tithe unto the Lord, which all of it belongs to God. But because he's so gracious, he lets us have 90%. But when we release the tithe to him, it allows God to come into our, to our increase and bless everything we have. This is why we give unto him tithe and we give unto him offering and we give unto him, really, we give unto him everything. All that I have is thine, O Lord. Praise God. But, but I can't outgive the Lord. So the Lord loveth a cheerful giver. And when we give unto him, he gives us more to give. How many have found that you can't outgive the Lord? Praise God. You really can't outgive the Lord. And so Abraham or Abram established this uh, precedent. Another very interesting part of history regarding Abram is his relationship with his nephew Lot. Lot and Abram dwelt together. Their herdsmen dwelt together. But there was strife among their herdmen. And it wasn't working out. The relationship wasn't working out. The nation, they said, the land cannot bear both of us. As opposed to continuing in a strife-filled relationship, they came together. They reasoned together. 
they met one another and they found a way to get along with one another. Abram said, let's don't fight. Let's don't argue. Let's don't have strife with one another. He said, in fact, there's a, there's a lot of land for both of us. Why don't you go look and decide what land you want, and I'll pick what you don't pick. It teaches us something. In the kingdom of God, there's never a good reason for us to burn bridges with other saints of God. We should always be able to come now, let us reason together, and find common ground in the Holy Ghost. Listen, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you should always be able to connect with another person that's filled with the Holy Ghost. Take the approach that Abram took. Abram's approach was, hey, you pick, you pick the better, and I'll pick what you don't pick. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. That's what Abram said to Lot. And Lot looked up, saw the well-watered plains of Jordan, the well-watered plains of Solomon. This Sodom, this was before it was destroyed with fire. And he chose those lands. Abram went another direction, an area that had not yet been cultivated. But God blessed every place Abram placed his foot. This teaches us something. You'll always be honored by God when you prefer your brother or your sister. I hope you're hearing me tonight. I know my voice is a little scratchy, but I hope you're hearing what I'm saying because I'm giving you a key to spiritual success. If you will prefer your brother or your sister, even to your own hurt at times, God will honor you. That is why it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because when you give, you are going to receive of God's blessings. When you receive, you receive of man's blessings. So when you're Abram and you're looking at this land over here, it is good, it is great, it is the best and the blessed. That's the land you want. But Abram preferred Lot, his nephew, and said, you pick. You want that beautiful, well-watered plain or do you want this nasty, old, dried up, broken down land over here? Well, Lot said, I want the good stuff. Abram said, then you take the good stuff. Lot took the good stuff. Abram took the stuff he didn't want. And God blessed Abram. And his land began to prosper and become plentiful. You know, there are little ways we can do that. Prefer your brother. Prefer your sister. When you're coming to a car, give your brother the front seat. When you're coming to a door, hold the door open for your brother. Amen. Pay the bill at the lunch every now and then when you have an opportunity. Take time to prefer your brother, your sister in the Lord. Hallelujah. When, when names are being recognized or acknowledged, put their name above your name. Let them receive the honor. Amen. Not out of false modesty but out of a knowledge that it pleases the Lord when you love your brother and your sister. Amen. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what Abram did, and God blessed him. Thank the Lord. Now, it didn't turn out so well for Lot. Lot's family became very vexed by the land where they lived. Sodom and Gomorrah spiraled into terrible violence and perversion. They were a very violent people. They were a very perverted people. And it had reached God in such a way that it angered him. 
and he decided he would pour out his wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible teaches us that just as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, and just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day when the Son of Man returns to the earth. That's why when we look at the perversion of our world, and when we look at the anti-God, anti-Christ defiance of our world, and the violence of our world, we need to know Jesus is coming soon, and we must be ready for his return. Hallelujah. Do not be like the family of Lot, who became vexed by that place, and and in so being uh, vexed by by vexed, we mean he he basically became numb to it. He 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 just it became a part of his life. His children, his children didn't even know really the difference between living for God and following God and what their culture and their society had become. Because when God said, I'm going to pour out my wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham famously, and I want to point this out because these are some things we must talk about when we're talking about Abraham. Now, Abraham was mentioned all through the rest of the Old Testament. The psalmists talked about him. The prophets talked about him. Jesus talked about him. The Pharisees talked about him. Paul talked about him. James talked about him. We, we got to talk about Abraham. And so Abraham is, is negotiating with God, saying, Lord, if there be 50 righteous, will you spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? And God, miraculously, mercifully, so graciously, said, yes, if there are 50 righteous, I will spare the city. And, and Abraham said, couldn't find 50. He said, if there are 40, yes. If there are 30, yes. If there are 20, yes. If there are 10 righteous, the Lord said, if there are 10 righteous, I will spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Abraham stopped. I don't know if he could have gone further. I don't know. We'll never know. What we do know is that there should have been 10 righteous because there were 10 members of Lot's family. There was Lot, remember Lot's wife. There were Lot's sons. There were Lot's sons-in-law, which meant he had daughters who had known men. And then he had two daughters that had never known a man. So there are 10 people in the family of Lot. Abraham knew that there were 10 people who should have been righteous. But apparently, they who should have been righteous were not righteous. And therefore, the cities were not saved. I wonder what God could do if we lived up to the righteousness that we are supposed to ascribe to and attain unto by the grace of Almighty God. How many people could be saved if we would live righteously? How many cities could be spared if we would live righteous before the Lord? God did rain fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot got out with, his, with uh, members of his family. His wife infamously turned back to see the city that they had left. She was turned into a pillar of salt. And uh, this is a very important account in the story of Abraham's life also. Another important part of Abraham's life is the precedent of circumcision. This was the token of the covenant God had established with Abraham. And what it teaches us is that in a covenant with God, there will be an outward difference 
between God's people and the world. It is also a reflection of the fact that there is going to be a, a wounding of the flesh in the people of God. Our flesh must not reign supreme in our life. We must not be carnal people. And God said to Abraham, I will have this covenant with you, but there will be a token of the covenant. That token of the covenant was circumcision. But the apostle Paul would later teach us that this was, this was a natural circumcision. But the circumcision God requires of us is the circumcision of the heart. And, and it is accomplished through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. When the old man dies and the new man walks in Christ Jesus to fulfill righteousness and not the lusts of the flesh. So God had told Abraham, I will give you Isaac. Isaac will come through Sarah. And that is exactly what the Lord did. Abraham, not only did he say, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. But he also said, Lord, do you mean Eleazar is going to be the promised son? Now, Eleazar was the servant in his house. And so Abraham is trying to make sense of the promises of God. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. No, I'll bless Ishmael, but Isaac will be the one with whom I establish my covenant. He said, what about Eleazar? He's my servant. Maybe you're kind of maybe you're kind of speaking in some kind of metaphor and 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 the servant of my house who is like a son will be the promised son and the lord said stop trying to quantify my promises because of your unbelief and we've got to be careful not to do that if god said it that's it and so it was not going to be Eleazar, it was not going to be Ishmael, it was going to be Isaac, and Isaac was born. After Isaac was born, Ishmael began to mock Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. He began to mock him, or Genesis chapter 21 rather. He began to mock him. When Sarah heard that Ishmael was mocking Isaac, she said to Abraham, it the, the, the bondwoman must go and her son. Hagar and Ishmael must be cast out. It grieved Abraham. He felt responsible, of course, for Ishmael. But Sarah was insistent that, that Hagar and Ishmael must go. The apostle Paul would later tell us in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians chapter 4, we'll go ahead and turn there, to see how this is a, a, an illustration and a, a, a spiritual application for us. Galatians chapter uh, 4 and verse 22, it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, 
which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted that was born, him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. He is explaining here that Hagar represented a type of Moses' law. When Abraham lie with Hagar, it was the same as when the children of Israel concocted an idea that they would not receive the law of God in their heart, but would receive the law of God via Moses at Mount Sinai. And that was a law of man, a law of Moses. That was, it was a law of God, but it was via a man, not written directly in their hearts by God. And they became bond people to that. It became a fleshly thing, something they could only live according to in their flesh. But we are born after the Spirit. And Moses received the law on the day of Pentecost. What became the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost just simply means 50 days. 50 days after Passover. And so he received the law on that 50th day. But the law he received was in tablets of stone. But when we received the law, we received the law when the day of Pentecost was fully come. And that law is not written on tablets of stone. It is written in our hearts. Hallelujah. See, when the Spirit of God puts his law in your heart, it's different than when he puts the law on tablets of stone. When he puts the law on tablets of stone, your flesh tries its best to keep that law. For instance, that law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's inscribed in stone. Your flesh tries its best to keep that law, but often fails. However, when it's in your spirit, written in your heart by the Holy Ghost, it's in you, and there is no excuse not to keep that law. When we live after the flesh, we will fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But if we will live after the spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Oh, hallelujah. See, some people think law was much tougher than grace. Wrong. Grace is much tougher than law. The Bible said at the times of this ignorance, God once winked. But now, commanded all men everywhere to repent. He said this. He said, thou art without excuse. You've got the blood of Jesus. They didn't have that under the law. You've got the Holy Ghost inside of you. They didn't have that under the law. You've got the name of the Lord upon your life. They didn't have that under the law. You've got the word of God inscribed in your heart. They didn't have that under the law. Grace is not a license for you to live any kind of lascivious way you want to. 
the apostle Paul warned of that and said, there are many who try to turn the grace of God unto lasciviousness. But the grace of God is the impartation of God's divine nature into our life. And it empowers us not to kill or even to hate our brother, which is the same as killing. It empowers us not to steal or to envy. It empowers us not to commit adultery or to look upon a woman and lust after her in our heart. It empowers us not to have other gods before us, whether crafted graven idols of stone or idols of the heart. It's the law of God inscribed upon our hearts. I want you to know you're, you have no excuse in this day and time to live for the Lord because it's in your heart when you're filled with his spirit. In those days, it was inscribed on tables of stone. That's why God put up with so many things in the Old Testament he doesn't put up with in the New Testament. You don't, you don't see in the Old Testament, you see, you see a lot of wives and concubines. You don't see that in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you saw a lot of wars and slaughtering of people. You didn't see that in the New Testament. That wasn't the warfare the apostles engaged in. Because... It's written in our hearts. It's written in our hearts. Hallelujah. And then it was written in tablets of stone. So cast out the bondwoman, Sarah said, and her son. And so they did. And famously, God gives Hagar a word that I will, I will help you. I won't leave you alone. I will help you. Isaac is the promised son of God. God says to Abraham, take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. Get thee into the land of Moriah. Offer him upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And, and so Abraham does it without any hesitation, no trepidation. He takes him to the mountain. He offers him, prepares to offer him. On their way there, Isaac happened to notice there were, that there was wood, that there was a knife, that there was everything they needed for a fire, but there was no lamb. And he said, hey, dad, I noticed that there's all the stuff we need, but there's not a lamb. I'm not the lamb, right? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. Did you hear the messianic prophecy? God, hey, look for those messianic prophecies. Jesus said, search the scriptures. That is a mandate to us. That's a mandate to us. Are you, are you skimming them or are you searching them? Are you pulling up the conjunctions and, and pushing through and foraging through the verbiage to, to find him? He said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Hey, search the scriptures. And find Jesus in the scriptures. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Hallelujah. You know, Abraham takes him. He says to his servants, you abide here with the, the donkeys. I am the lad. Listen, we will go yonder. I and the lad will worship. And I and the lad will come again to you. Abraham's, he's just marching up. There's no scriptural indication that he had any hesitancy whatsoever. He's just going to do this thing God told him to do. He takes him to Mount Moriah, sharpens up the knife, lays the wood in order, puts Isaac on the wood, straps Isaac to the altar. Now Isaac was just as obedient to God as Abraham was. 
Isaac could have struggled. Isaac could have resisted, but he trusted God the way his father trusted God. And, and he knew he's the promised son. God is in control. You can trust God. And so Abraham lifts up that night. The angel of the Lord stops him and said in so many words, Whoa! Chill. I see that you fear God. And behind him was a ram rustling in the thicket, caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham turned around and saw that ram caught in the thorns, in the thorns and thistles by his horns. And the Bible says that, that in, in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they tried to use the father Abraham against Jesus, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Hallelujah. He rejoiced to see my day. I believe that was the day Abraham saw the day of Christ and rejoiced. Because when he looked at that ram rustling in that thicket, caught by his horns in the thorns and the thistles, that's exactly what happened when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, thrashing in the thorns and thistles. What are the thorns and thistles? The thorns and the thistles are the mistakes of mankind. Thorns and thistles did not belong in the original design of God's creative plan. They resulted from man's sins. Because you have sinned, you will produce thorns and thistles when you labor. So when he's wrestling and rustling in those thorns and thistles in that thicket, he's caught by his horns. That's what you see when you see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He's caught in that thicket, that body of a man, that thicket, those thorns and that, those thistles, that subjection unto death. And he's thrashing like that ram was thrashing in the thicket. And he's caught by that ram's horn. I wish I had time to tell you about the ram's horn and all of its significance. Why it was on the four corners of the altar. Why it was used to anoint the priests and the prophets and the kings. Why it was used to sound the alarm for battle. Why that ram's horn. It goes all the way back the first time it's mentioned when Abraham saw it caught in the thicket. That unwieldy, winding, unpredictable horn on that ram. A fully matured lamb. Hallelujah. That's what you see Jesus as in the Garden of Gethsemane. A fully matured lamb. That's why everything leading up to that point, he grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. Until that day when in full maturation, his horns as long and, and winding as they could be, he said, exemplifying his full maturation, not my will, but thy will be done. That's the evidence of full maturation. Not my will, but thy will be done. Abraham saw the day of Christ and he rejoiced. When he saw that day. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. Hebrews 11 says. That Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah. Offered him there. Prepared to offer him there. And, and this was why. By faith he accounted. That God was able to raise Isaac up from the dead. He had never seen a resurrection. But he believed God was able. 
he accounted that God was able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. He said, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham received him in a figure. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. See, these great prophets of the Old Testament and these great characters of the Old Testament, they did not just happenstantially trust in God. No, no, they were devoted to God and their devotion led them into a revelation of God. This is why the faith we have in Jesus Christ is the same faith they had in Jesus Christ. Ours coming after he was wounded for our transgressions. And theirs was coming before he was wounded for our transgressions. But both faiths come to us by way of revelation. One Lord, one faith. The faith of Abraham is your faith today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And, and, and all of it is centered. Us 2,000 years ago for Abraham, about 2,000 years from where he lived or, or thereabout. And, 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 and we see that it's all centered in Jesus Christ. Praise the name of the Lord. And so Abraham has Isaac and Isaac is lifted up off of that altar. The ram is laid down in his stead, sacrificed for Isaac, just as Jesus was sacrificed for us. We searched the scriptures, and guess what? We found Jesus in that story on Mount Moriah. Do you know that the Jews, wherever they are in the world, are they face Jerusalem to pray? Wherever they are in the world, when they, when they pray, they face Jerusalem. And, uh, and so that's just the way it is. They, they, if they're in America... The Orthodox Jews will, will face east to pray because they must face Jerusalem. They, they face out of reverence. But when they're in Jerusalem, where do they face? When they're in Jerusalem, they face Mount Moriah when they pray. Because it's not Jerusalem alone that they're facing. It's Mount Moriah. It's this moment when God spared the promised son, the seed of Abraham and Sarah, the, where God kept his covenant with his people, even when Isaac was supposed to die. Even, listen, this was all type and shadow. The, Abraham was living out a precedent for us so we could understand it. That's what Paul meant when he said, which things are an allegory. God let Abraham live it so we could understand it. Though it was the word of God that condemned Isaac to die. It was the word of God that said Isaac must die. Abraham was just fulfilling the word of God. Don't you know that we have failed to live up to the law? And it is the law that says we must die. But God who is rich in mercy. Woo! Hallelujah. And he delivered us just as that ram delivered Isaac off of that altar. Praise God. Hallelujah. Isaac began to dig wells just like Abraham dig wells. And, and Isaac was provided a wife. The servant of Abraham went to find Isaac a wife. Her name was Rebekah. And it's a beautiful story in the Bible where Rebekah watered the camels of the servant of Abraham. And Abraham, his servant, brought her back and Isaac 
married Rebekah. Interestingly, Sarah was barren, but God opened her womb so she could bring forth the promised son. Rebekah was barren. God opened her womb so she could produce Jacob and Esau. Rachel was barren, but God opened her womb that she could bring forth Joseph and Benjamin. Mary was a virgin, but God overshadowed her and she brought forth the Messiah. Elizabeth was barren, but God opened her womb and John the Baptist came. Do you realize that Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and John the Baptist and Jesus all came from impossible circumstances? Every one of their births were dramatic miracles. Nothing is too hard for God. Hallelujah. Nothing is too hard for God. And when Jacob was born, the Bible said he came forth from the womb and he was, he was holding on to Esau's heel. Rebekah said, there are two nations in me. And Jacob and Esau were in that womb of Rebekah and they came forth and, and Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel, trying to pull him back into the womb, trying to come out first so that he could inherit the birthright and the blessing of the father. But Jacob and Esau came forth into the world and Esau was the firstborn, therefore he had the birthright. And, and when he had the birthright, Jacob was left pretty much without any access to the birthright or to the blessing. Now we'll continue our lesson in the weeks to come, but let me just, let me just preface the, those lessons with this. Jacob wanted the birthright. Esau had it, could take it or leave it. Here we see, uh, here we see an example. We see an example of those who had access to the blessings of God and those who were strangers to the blessings of God. This is why Jesus, look at the miracles of Jesus. Jesus often said, the greatest faith he saw in all of Israel was not that of an Israelite. It was a Roman centurion. And he said of the Roman centurion, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel as this man right here. So many of the miracles. The Syrophoenician woman, she was not of Abraham's lineage. But she came to him and said, have mercy, Lord. He ignored her. And his disciples said, what are we going to do about this lady? And Jesus said, I am come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It is not meat that we should cast the children's bread to dogs. He called her a dog. She said, truth, Lord. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Mercy, Lord. Truth, Lord. And then he said, he said, it's not meat that the children's bread be cast to dogs. She said, but the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She worshipped him and called him Lord again. Every time she addressed him, she called him Lord. 
Every time she addressed him, she called him Lord. She called for mercy. She acknowledged truth, and she worshiped him. I'm going to tell you something. That is hunger. She had no access at that point to the promises of God. But every time Jesus would encounter someone outside the covenant of Abraham, the Samaritan woman at the well, the same exact thing, hungry, hungry, hungry for the things of God. And so Esau represents those, the firstborn, represents those that had access to it, but eh, kind of had it all my life, and it's nice having, but, you know, kind of be exciting to see what it was like without it. He goes out on a day to hunt and takes no victuals with him. He has no food. He's going to hunt with his own hands, with his own labors, with his own work. He's going to accomplish the task of providing food for himself. Jacob, on the other hand, is close to home. He's the favorite of the mother. Esau's the favorite of the father. And, and Jacob is making a bowl of pottage. Esau comes back famished at the point of death, hungry, was not successful. His own labors were not able to provide him the satisfaction he thought they would. Our own works will never provide the spiritual fulfillment we need. He comes back to Jacob, and when he finds Jacob, Jacob is making a bowl of pottage. Esau said, give it to me. I'll die if I don't get it. And Jacob said, I will for the birthright. It mattered to Jacob. It didn't matter to Esau. It was kind of, it was kind of uh, exploitive of Jacob to do that to Esau. But you do see the difference. One wanted the birthright, and one was willing to trade the birthright for a bowl of temporary satisfaction. Because you know what? He'll eat that bowl of soup, Brother Wilson, and then he'll be hungry again. That's the way the world leaves you. You eat one bowl of satisfaction, and then you're immediately in need of another fix. But Jacob was hungry for the birthright. And he had the birthright now. Esau was without the birthright. When it came time for the blessing, Jacob put hair on his hands so that he could look like and feel like Esau. He wore Esau's garments so that he could have the smell of the field like Esau had. He brought venison, but not from the field, from their own, from their own livestock, helped by his mother, Rebekah. And he, and he also brought this to Isaac, and he came in with a lie, saying he was Esau when he was not. I want to tell you something. You can try to get the blessing of the Lord the right, the wrong way, but you will always have to get his blessing the right way. Later, Jacob was going to have to fight for it. Oh, God help us. And, and, and. Jacob receives this blessing from Isaac. Isaac had all of his faculties in order except one. He could not see well. He could smell fine because he smelled the field. He could hear fine because he heard the voice of Jacob and, and, and questioned it. You sound like Jacob, but you're saying you're Esau. He could feel well. Sense of touch was all right because he felt his arms and said, you're a hairy man, which Esau was. And, and all of his... All of his faculties were in order. He could taste well. He tasted the venison that Jacob brought him. But he lacked one sensory 
detail, and that was his sight. Just because a person of God, a man of God, a patriarch of God, a person anointed of God, places their blessing on you, does not mean that you are right in the ways of your life. I have seen many people feel like because they have the blessing of man that they're doing just fine. Blessing of man won't cut it. You need the blessing of the Lord. So the question is, do our hands match our voice? Do our, the actions of our hands, the works of our hands, do they match the words that we speak? In Jacob's case, he was attempting to gain the blessing the wrong way. But eventually he did gain the blessing of the Lord. We'll talk more about it in the next time we revisit this subject. But he wrestled all night long till the breaking of the day. And the Lord said, what is your name? My name is Jacob. Your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. Abram had his name changed to Abraham. Sarai had her name changed to Sarah. Jacob had his name changed to Israel. Hallelujah. In this household of faith, your name is going to have to be changed from whatever it was to that precious name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Can we stand to our feet, lift up our hands unto the Lord and ask his blessing upon us? God, we need your blessing, the real blessing. We need the promises of God. We need to stand upon your promises. We need to stand upon your holy word. Lord God, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. To believe your word. To trust in your name. To trust in your power. Come on, I want us to lift up our voices unto the Lord. God has promises for you. God has blessings for you. God has blessings for you. If you know that God has a blessing for your family, a promise for your life, I want you just to lift up your hands unto the Lord right now and say, God, I'm going to stand upon your word regardless of what may come my way. Come on, let's do it right now. Let's lift up our praise unto God. Let's lift up our praise unto God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, oh God. We praise you, oh Lord. We praise you, oh Lord. We praise you, O oh Lord. We praise you, O oh Lord. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Put your faith in his word tonight. Put your trust in his word tonight. When the Lord would appear to prophets of old, he would say this, I am the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. I am the God who keeps my promises. I am the God who establishes my covenant. That's what he was saying. He didn't say, and he could have, but he didn't say, I'm the God of Moses, Daniel, and David. I am the God of Noah and Enoch and Job. No, no. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the people who fought through doubt to stand on the promise of his covenant. These are the people who believed him when their wives were barren that he was going to give them children. These were the people who trusted in him when they themselves had made mistakes. 
And they trusted him that he was a faithful and loving God who would keep his covenant even when they did not live up to their expectations of themselves. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. I wonder if somebody can put your faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, I believe your covenant. I believe your promises. I stand upon the promises of God. I stand upon the promises of God. I put my faith in your holy word. Oh, God. I put my faith in your holy word. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes. Lift up your hands. Receive it now. Here in the presence of the Lord. The mercy is falling, falling. Lift up your hands, receive it now. Here in the presence of the mercy. The mercy. She is falling. Your hands receive it now. Here in the presence of the Lord. And mercy is falling. Hallelujah. 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 And mercy is falling. Mercy is falling. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands. Receive it now. Here in the presence. Here in the presence of the Lord. just say right now sometimes we find ourselves in a position like Abraham where Ishmael where Ishmael is a result of our 
trying to plan it ourselves. Maybe we have something we've done that was by mistake. It produced an unintended consequence or outcome. We don't know what to do about it. I want you to know the mercy of God is for you. And He will take care of that situation. I said He will take care of that situation. You say, I don't know what to do about it. It's out of my hands. It's a mistake I made a long time ago. And, and now the circumstances are such that it's spiraling and I, I don't know what to do. Give it to God tonight. And say, Lord, I need you to take, I need you to take these circumstances that were outside of your will. And I'm going to tell you, God will take that whole situation and he will turn it around for the good. He'll make of it a great nation. He will bring about mercy and grace and peace and power if you give it to God. Amen. Don't make the mistake of trying something else on your own. Just let the Lord perform his perfect covenant with you. Can you lift your past mistakes, your past failures to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust in your mercy. Lord, I trust in your plan. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Mercy is falling. Up your hands. Receive it now. Here in the presence. Here in the presence of the Lord.